0: Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschläger, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And Sam and I are happy to welcome you to week seven of He Gave Us Stories, which is our series on the parables that Jesus told. Uh, this week, we are coming to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be considering the parable of the rich fool, um, which, Sam, they could have just had the parable of Mark. You know, it's like... It's like <laughs> There's a, there's a lot in this that I found to identify with this week. Um, because I'm a guy who likes to, uh, provide for himself and have, you know, security. I'm not a, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm risk averse. Uh, my retirement portfolio is very stable, these kinds of things. So I identified with some of this stuff and, and I found myself feeling like, as I considered the story of this man, that, Honestly, it really wasn't what he was doing that was wrong. it was more why he was doing it. Mm-hmm. would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think that's ultimately you your behavior comes out of what you believe and ultimately out of your identity and for him, he found his security and his stuff yeah and and like you, you know, I can totally relate to wanting to find your security and trying to build up barriers and safe you know fail safes and everything else. Uh I totally can relate to this. Yeah. So this is this these parables are always challenging us to say where do you see yourself in the story? And and it compels you and convicts you to to kind of live more with open hands and to see what Jesus would have you do with yeah. your
0: life. Um this is another parable that happens as a result of somebody in the crowd asking Jesus a question. Uh <laughs> and I think that One of the things that occurred to me as I was looking at that this week, I thought, you know, at some point, people should learn better. (laughs) It's like – Hey, let's get let's try to trip up this Jesus guy. I'm like he thinks on his feet pretty well. <laughs> Plus, here's the deal: he knows what you're thinking and why you asked the question. So, uh, I think that that's what happens here because they – and and the, and the other thing is is that it's really not a question. Um, it it starts off with uh, it says verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." Um, which, as I was thinking about that, the, the rules of inheritance are specified in the mm-hmm. law of Moses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. So – and it was, it was prevalent in this time that when the, the father died, the inheritance was left to the firstborn son. And so if you had two sons, two shares, two out of three of the shares would go to the firstborn and one third or one share would go to the secondborn. If there were three kids – The firstborn would get two of the four shears. The third would get one and the fourth would get one. And so the firstborn always got the double portion and he was always the executor of the estate that then divided it out and apportioned it to the other siblings. And so in this case, this guy stands up and he's basically saying, my brother presumably the firstborn. Is robbing me? He's dragging I, his I, feet. Yeah, yeah. I haven't gotten my portion. He's taking more than he's supposed to. You need to tell him to do the right thing and give me the inheritance that's due to me.
0: I I, I discovered that apparently it wasn't uncommon for people to appeal to the rabbis mm-hmm. regarding this because this was an element of the Mosaic law. They were like, y- you know, Rabbi, this isn't right, and so um, it. The fact that this guy came to Jesus and asked Jesus to or or told Jesus to get involved um, wasn't necessarily unusual on the face of it. Mm -hmm. However, Jesus obviously sees this guy's motivation um, and and he kind of brushes him aside. He says, you know, but he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? which I thought was an interesting response. It's it's almost as though Jesus is saying, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Like he's brushing it aside.
1: Yeah, well, a rabbi in those days, you know, they were considered the teachers of the law. And so when this guy comes up, it would have seemed insulting. So, you know, you have Jesus here that's talking about, um, you know, what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing with you. He's talking in terms that very clearly identify him as God. He is just in the previous chapter laid into the religious leaders, and and in no uncertain terms, Jesus is making it clear that he is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's speaking with divine authority as God himself, and this guy comes up and says, Hey, Rabbi, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and in a sense, it would have been rather demeaning and dismissive of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear all this stuff you're teaching. I, I, I'm really not interested in that. I want you to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so, if you're you're reading what Jesus is talking about immediately prior to this, which has to do with eternal judgment and, you know, all the things that are going on in the heavenly realms and forgiveness and everything else, he gets done with that. And the guy's like, hey, rabbi, I need an inheritance. It's like… Yeah. as a as a preacher, <laughs> you know on some level, I can relate to this, where you've just laid out your heart with this great sermon you know that you think is really connecting with people, and somebody says, Tell me where the pizza is, you know <laughs> and you're like, oh. <laughs> you know yeah it's it's just and this guy's like that's where Jesus is, he gives this response, you know what which is kind of ironic, you know he's the ultimate judge over all of humanity, right, and Jesus says, man. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? You're reducing me to this petty position that I'm not willing to take up right now for you. Um, And and
0: just for context, let's let people know what it was that Jesus just finished saying. verse 8, Jesus says, And I tell you – Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And Mm -hmm. everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's like he's laying Mm -hmm. out things of like Mm -hmm. eternal, celestial, heavenly import and then, like you say, this guy's like, yeah, 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 that's nice, Rabbi. Where did you say the bathrooms were again? <laughs>
1: <You> <laughs> I mean, know, that's really like, what it comes down to. I mean, he brings up something that is so unbelievably petty in comparison to what he's talking about. He has just said, your pathway to eternal life, to eternal glory in heaven is whether or not you acknowledge me before men. He's, he's, he's saying, this is who I am. I, yeah. am, I am the life. I am the way. And the guy comes back with that question, yeah. you know, or, or instruction. It's not even a question. Yeah, it's, so a he not only, it's a demand. It's a demand, right? He not only lowers him to rabbi, but he reveals that he has no humility in front of Jesus when he's like, you tell my brother. Like, I'm, let me command you, almighty God in the flesh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So you already get a picture into this guy's heart at the beginning. He's not wooed by the fact that Jesus is – God or the Savior of the world, he, he doesn't seem to care much about anything Jesus has just said. He's got something that rules his heart right. far more.
0: You know, and that was interesting because – I mean Jesus is going to unmask that in the very next sentence. But right up front what we have is that I felt like this guy – had and i'm sure that if he took some time to really think about it he would realize that that what was going on here was that he was really only interested in the money mm-hmm. but instead he comes to jesus with this attitude of my brother's not doing the right thing tell my brother to do the right thing but really his motivation is i want my money and I, as i was thinking about that i said man how many times if i if i explained my motives you'd look at me and go really mark <laughs> really? That's, that's what you're looking at? And yet I find a way to turn it so that somebody else is doing something wrong and I can mm-hmm. come in the door with a head of righteous indignation. And that's a little bit of what this guy was doing. It's like, yeah, he's really – what he really wants is he wants his money. And so he comes mm-hmm. in the door and says, Jesus, tell my brother to do the right thing. So he tries to mask his own greed, his own covetousness with righteous indignation. I think that's mm-hmm. a masking technique that humans instinctively know how to do.
1: It's all over the place. I mean, we we are constantly doing this to one another where rather than coming with the merits of an argument, I mean, just I mean, the obvious one is the political idea, right? right? Rather than being able to have any discussion on the merits or the wisdom or the rationale behind a particular position, we immediately – go into attack mode to make the other side evil. Right. The other side has done something egregious and if you agree with them then you must be egregious too, you know, it's like so he comes in, you know, basically throwing his brother under the bus. He's using all of these manipulative tools when really like he's not he's not so worried about that. He just he wants the money. Yeah. He wants to win, which is the way all arguments go. It's win at it all costs, scorched earth, you know. Yeah. Bluster.
0: Yeah. And I do think that the was something you said there that you know with rather than coming in and, and and having a discussion and where the decision is made based on the merits of the of the argument, the merits of the discussion of the situation. Um, I think that especially applies to our modern society where we substitute outrage for for consideration. We substitute mm-hmm. anger for intellect.
1: Mm-hmm. And the other thing that, that's going on here, like he's got his brother. So let's imagine the scene when, when he says, Jesus, teacher – Tell my my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You've got to imagine. It talks about how there's massive crowds there. They're pushing in against each other. I mean, it is jam-packed wherever this is. So there's people everywhere. And rather than him saying, hey, Jesus, would you mind giving me some time? I have something to talk about with you. He says in front of this massive crowd, tell my brother, which means he's there. He wants Jesus to look at his brother and tell him something. Right. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance to me. And so to win what he wants, what he wants Jesus to do is to validate this idea that his brother's a thief. He wants everyone in the crowd to look at his brother and shame him. So he's got different things that he can value right there. He can value the reputation of his brother who might be in a, a weak moment, you know, but but he's going to protect the reputation of his brother rather than publicly shaming him. That's out the window. Yep. And so what he wants to do is tear down his brother – to get what he wants. And that's pretty gross.
0: And Jesus sees through it. Absolutely. I mean, that's, the you know, the, the first thing you have to know about, you know, any conversation that you're going to have with Jesus is that you can't lie to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has, you know, he's able to see what's in our heart. So um, that's, and, and so Jesus unmasks the guy. Uh, in in verse 15, it's, he, he says, and he said to them, now that would be his disciples, the people that were there. It's like he 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 kind of shro- – he shoulders this guy aside and then he turns to the people that are around him and says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's a statement <laughs> that is so profound. I mean it's, it's something that – You know, it's something that's carried down through the ages. Even people who are not, you know, Christians or Bible believers in particular know this idea that you are not your stuff, you know. And yet, especially in the West, Mm -hmm. in the Western world, and not just America, you know, I'm looking at you, Canada. I'm looking at you, Europe. I'm looking at you. (laughs) I'm looking at all you guys over there that are conspicuous consumers just like we are. It's important for us to understand we are not our possessions, and yet mm-hmm. people seem to believe that. It's like uh, they they ascribe some worthiness to people who are wealthy. It's like, mm-hmm. ooh, they're special because they're wealthy. N- no, <laughs> they're yeah. not special because they're wealthy. Yeah, I mean your
1: identity does not – you said this before we started recording. Your identity does not come from what you own. Like right. you are not your stuff. But and this is definitely not the response that he was hoping for. You know? <laughs> and and you gotta wonder if his brother's over there going, Yes <laughs> You know. But he's when he says, Take care, be on guard against covetousness, you know, that's the tenth commandment. That Jesus you know, in the Old Testament, Moses, when he gets the Ten Commandments, the last one is thou shalt not covet. And it was one that went to the heart. So back in the days before the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talked about murder expanding to the heart and whether you hate someone and adultery expanding to you lusting in your heart after a woman, you know, that would include adultery. Covetousness was the one that was like, it's in your heart. Paul says that that was the commandment that destroyed him because he knew his heart was a mess. He could say, yeah, I've never, you know, done these other things illegally, but that one crushed me because it was in my heart. And that's something that every single human being struggles with. We all covet. It's something, you know, we want more. The, even in the Greek, that word covet comes from two different words that means to have more. We're, we're always wanting more and more and more. And, and that's at the heart of what this guy wants. He's not content with what he has. And so, when you get the command, do not covet, what it's, what it's calling you to is contentment you know to be content with what god has blessed you with to be right. content with what you have and not to allow this slavery this drive to always get more or something better to to overwhelm your life and that that's really hard yeah. <laughs> you know that's because it works against our instinct i remember when laura and i first met she had just come back from the mission field she was over in ukraine she was on a fixed budget when she was over there Uh, two stories jump into my brain. I remember one of our first dates, we went to Sweet Tomatoes, um, the salad bar place, which is a wonderful place, and I mean nothing against Sweet Tomatoes with the story. But when she was in Kiev, Ukraine, the poverty was so intense that when people were on their way home from work, they would buy their vegetables. They would buy only what they needed to survive that day. It was just that kind of culture, and so one of our first dates – was was in Sweet Tomatoes and she was just watching the abundance and the waste and what people threw away. And she had a really hard time with that. I mean, she wasn't judgmental of anybody else, but it just grieved her to know, you know, the difference. And so then we're dating and, and we start talking about money. And I am I'm I'm the build the bigger barn guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm I I wanna be safe. I wanna have fail safes. I wanna know my retirement's safe and, you know, 'cause I sadly find some security in that. And I'm asking Laura, and it's like, you know, how much money How much money do you have to your name? And she said, um, I think I'm right around $300. And she was living in a studio apartment that was above a mechanic's garage because it was what she could afford. And she could – it was like it didn't even phase her right. that she was less than paycheck to paycheck. You know, right. it was like just – she was content, and that – In my mind, I thought, what is wrong with you? (laughs) You And the reality is, is she had such a godly perspective, you know, that she wasn't going to be stirred up about provision. You Mm -hmm. know, she was going to do what she could. She would do her duty. She would get a job. She Mm -hmm. would, you know, all that stuff. But she was so content with what she had where when I looked at what she had, I thought, how in the world could you possibly be content with this? This, This stresses me out for you. Yeah.
0: Um that was not her heart. I marveled at that. This idea of being that unconcerned with money, um or or material possession, it, it feels foreign to me. I mean I've 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 my whole life since I was a, a young boy, if I earned a dollar, my parents were like, you know, you should save half of that. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Uh and I don't <clears throat> save half of everything that I make, but we save quite a bit. Um, you know, we're we're prepared, and that kind of thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong. Let me just say, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with retirement planning. Not but at all. But I, I think the question is, where do you find your security? Right. And, you know, Laura found her security in the Lord. Uh, and, you know, frankly, you and I were both looking at our bank account going, well, I guess we're <laughs> going to be okay. Um, but, you know, this is interesting. There's There's two things about this, you know, situation here that – the first thought that occurred to me was, I think sometimes people think that coveting means wanting something that you shouldn't, and that's not necessarily the 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 case. Um, well, it's not. I say necessarily. It's not the case. Um, you can covet something that you shouldn't covet. You know that, that's the Ten Commandment. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant. They give you a list of things not to covet. So you can covet something that's not right to covet. You shouldn't want that at all. It belongs to someone else. But the idea behind the the coveting is that coveting itself is a problem because of what it is. It doesn't mean just to want something. It means to yearn for it. It means to, to want it so bad that it preys on your thoughts all the time, that it becomes a kind of dominant thing that, that motivates your actions. You begin to change the way you act and talk and what you do because you want this thing so bad. And frankly, at that point, now we're getting into, I'm violating that first of the great, two great commandments, remember? Mm-hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Well, guess what? If I'm coveting other things to the point that it's distracting me from God, then I'm that I'm loving something else more than I'm loving God. I'm having another God before Him. You know, it's like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's other commandments that uh, that coveting leads you into into violating, but it does have to do with this idea of this yearning. And then on the flip side of that. I thought about Paul writing in 1 Corinthians when he was writing to them about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, um, ver- start verse 27 to 31. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to that, by the way, all of those is no. And then in verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire, and that and that's the ESV translation The King James says, covet. And it is that idea of that earnest, like deep desire that motivates you, earnestly desire, the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13, which is the love chapter, where he explains that love triumphs over all this stuff. It's like the thing that you want most of all is love, but that we are to earnestly desire this this filling of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the mm-hmm. love that comes from the Spirit of God for God's people and God's kingdom. He's like, that's what you should be coveting. Mm-hmm. If you want to covet something, if you want to let something prey on your mind and and begin to, you know, change the way you're living your life, covet that.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, one of the things that when the gospel describes the, the progression of sanctification in your life, you know, because we all come to faith with these desires that don't conform to God's design, right, you know? Uh, One person, it might be some sort of addiction or sexual habits or all these things, you know, that don't conform and and their appetites. What the gospel, what the promise of the gospel is, is that the more you fall in love with Jesus, it's not just that he gives you the ability to say, no, I'm not going to do that and I'm going to be a moral person. It's that he becomes beautiful and satisfying enough to where mm-hmm. your appetites are shifted, right. and he becomes your appetite. You, right. you want more of him. You want to grow in him. You you covet, like you're saying, more of him because he has, by the power of the Spirit, slowly but surely began begun conforming your desires to his, and that is when when you see. You're you're coveting, in a sense, or your desires, your appetites begin to change to where they fit his, that's real, yeah. powerful sanctification. Yeah. yeah. And I see it in parts of my life, and there's still I still need some appetite forming in other parts of my life. Right. Imagine that's going to be happening till glory.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that's the point. We, there, there will be this point where we lay aside, you know, coveting things that we shouldn't, but it's probably going to be that moment when you know, we close our eyes for the last time on this side of the veil. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Jesus actually gets into the parable itself. It says, uh, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Um, in those first two verses there of the parable, we find what we know is we learn two things about this guy. First is, coming in the door, he's rich. The guy's mm-hmm. already rich. So this land is producing plentifully and apparently has been producing plentifully because the second thing we know is he's got nowhere to store his crops. That means the barns he has are already full. So mm-hmm. the central figure of this parable is a man who is already rich, who already has barns filled to the absolute brim with the pro you know with the with the product of his field and and yet now he has even more above and beyond and i thought to myself you know it it, it sometimes seems like you know, we you hear the phrase all the time, the rich keep getting richer. Mm-hmm. It seems like, and maybe it's just because I understand you have to have money to leverage making money, I don't know, mm-hmm. all the deal of it. But the fact is, it seems like the people that have more seem to keep getting even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people that are just getting by, and it seems like they're always just getting by. But this guy should have been able to recognize he had more than he needed.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, there's one of the thoughts that comes into my head, and it might be because I'm just rewriting a chapter on this and one of the things that I've written, but it's a story of Isaac, and Isaac is in the land of Gerar, which is in Palestine, it's Israel, and he's there, and this crippling famine comes, and God says, I don't want you to go to Egypt, I want you to plant your crops where you are, stay in the land, and Isaac obeys God, he's faithful to God listens to his voice and it says that God blessed Isaac with crops a hundredfold and meanwhile all of the the other people from uh, you know Abimelech's tribe Abimelech is the king of this place they don't have abundant crops and it says with time they began to hate Isaac to where they had to ask him to leave and i always wondered like why didn't Isaac share yeah. <laughs> you know it's he just got richer so he had abundant crops and everybody came to him and says okay well we have none and so he sold them his crops, and they began to hate him until they drove him away from this place of Gerar. And th- this story reminds me of that—that that, you know, Jesus is going to be so much better than Isaac, who who receives, you know, this infinite abundance of wealth. And what does he do with it? He doesn't, you know, say he doesn't say mine. Mm-hmm. I earned it. Get away, you know. But he he freely shares. He recognizes that he is blessed. To be a blessing to others, right? Yeah. And here, this rich man is blessed, but he's not blessed. You know, he doesn't believe that he's blessed to be a blessing. He thinks, "Ooh, more wealth. I, I, what can I do with this? I can have even more security for myself." Um, and if you if you study the first century, they are plagued by famines through this time. It's part of the reason why Paul is commending people for giving so generously to support the saints that are back in Judea going through yet more famines. Mm -hmm. And so when he says this, there's this certain rich man who has an abundant, huge crop, you know, it's like, oh, you know, everybody else would have been like, you know, oh, how fortunate. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of the, the movie The Three Amigos where Chevy Chase is drinking water. Everybody else is parched in the desert, and he's just drinking abundance amount of water out of his canteen and doesn't feel like finishing it because he's full, so he just throws it on the ground and it leaks out into the sand. Um, there's, there's just this self-absorption. Yeah. He's not thinking of people who would have heard this story back in those days that are following Jesus around, by the way, hoping that he's going to perform another miracle so they can get some food you enter into the desperation of that culture and here's a guy who's just got tons yeah.
0: and it never occurs to him that maybe I should feed the hungry or take care mm-hmm. of the poor um, what occurs to him is maybe I should tear my barns down and build bigger ones mm-hmm. um, I, you know I, I, I know this is going to come as a shock to everybody that's listening but I thought about something that Paul wrote <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know it's 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 a running joke, and yet it's the truth. It's like every time something comes up with some, you know. So, so I thought, wow, Paul wrote to Timothy about some of this stuff um, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, six, beginning in verse six. Paul writes this. He says, "But godliness with contentment—that's what you're talking about. It's like don't covet means to be content. Mm-hmm. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world." But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's like it's it's about as clear-cut a you really shouldn't love your money as I can find anywhere in the scriptures. But he follows it up with, because I I think that then because we're this pendulum society, Oh, so I shouldn't love my money. Therefore I should eschew money. I should, I should force (laughs) poverty on myself. No, that's not what he's getting at because in verse 17 of the same chapter, Paul writes this as for the rich in this present age acknowledging that there are some who are rich in that at that time, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Hmm. I'm not here bashing folks that have... Lots of money because Paul doesn't bash folks that have lots of money. Mm -hmm. But what he is saying is that's not where your hope is. That's not what you should look to. And you should recognize God's given us everything to enjoy. So enjoy what you have. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. recognize that you have a lot and be generous and ready to Mm -hmm. share.
1: Mm -hmm. And if you don't, it will enslave you. It will become your master. I mean, Jesus says – No man can serve two masters. And what does he put up as the competing force against God? Money. Yeah. You know, see, it's like Jesus saying, I know that the the two biggest, you know, the biggest competitor against having a heart that is totally yielded to the Lord. Is money. It's it's this kind of covetousness, this greed. And money does something that when you make a little bit of it and you you buy more things and you gotta take care of those things and all of a sudden before you know it, you're serving your money rather than your money serving you. And and even worse, you're serving your money rather than your money serving the kingdom you know because your heart is bowing down to your bank account rather than allowing your bank account to really serve the kingdom of god that goes on with eternal dividends with with eternal consequences and that's that's a tragedy yeah. you know so this guy's going to go out and he's going to build bigger barns and he's going to you know what does he have to do now well now i have to keep filling them and any time they get lower i've got to fill them because i built these bigger barns and i mean I've got a bigger mortgage, and I got a bigger car payment, and I've got more employees, and I've got that, da, 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 da. and you can go down the line, and before you know it, you've become so successful that you're actually enslaved to your success. Right. And I say this as somebody who would much rather much rather be rich than poor. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I, there's no denying that. Yeah. But the moment you serve it, you have become a slave to it, and that will make you miserable. I know lots of people with lots of money who would issue
0: that warning that yeah. it's a miserable life when you serve it. Yeah. And conversely, I've had the the good fortune, I guess, to know some people that have been uh, very well off. Although, you know, by the standards of most of the world, Sam, you and I are very yeah. well off. True story. You know, we're absolutely, you know, fabulously wealthy compared to a lot of people around the world who really do worry about where their next meal is coming from. That's not something that I've ever had to deal with ever in my entire life. Um, so I recognize that, but I've also known some people that even by my standards uh, have been very well off, and they have been really generous toward mm-hmm. others that need help. They've been really generous toward the work of the Lord, and I'm going to tell you something about those folks. There's a, it's like this joy that they have that mm-hmm. their money does not affect them at all, Yeah, and that's so cool.
1: And if you didn't know they were wealthy – it, like the way the way they carry themselves, you would never know they don't carry themselves as though they're better than anyone. they have true empathy and compassion and and they see it as fun. They get excited to see what what their blessings can do to bless others they yeah. They live with this kind of excited you know what can I do next I mean, I remember during the pandemic watching some some people who were fairly wealthy step up. And do really heroic things, you know, with open hands to bless the kingdom. Sure, man, I love seeing that, and yeah. I, and I I know that has to bring a smile to the Savior, which is really the only currency, you know that that ultimately matters at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, you know, we've had, um, we mean, my wife and I have had times where we've prospered more than others. It's been. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't necessarily had some of such great years recently. We're fine, where everything's good, but but there were times not long ago, uh, you know, maybe five ten years ago, where we had some very good years, um, and as a result of that, we had extra money that we had an opportunity to be generous with and, and give to certain projects around the school or mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, well, you remember that I came yeah, to your I office a few well. times and handed you checks, <laughs> but the the thing is, is that. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was and
1: you a, could tell it was a lot of fun.
0: It was. It was a lot of fun, you know. And you think, Mark, what do you mean it's a lot of fun? You gave away thousands of dollars of your money. I'm like, no, no, no. I gave away thousands of dollars of God's money. I gave away thousands of dollars of what God had given us. We had more than we needed. He had blessed us and we kept plenty for ourselves, you know. It's like, but genuinely, if you've not, if you're not somebody who has experienced that, Sharing and generosity and and, and basically allow the Lord to lead you and to to give from what you have it 's like it really mm-hmm. is fun I know that sounds weird I just people it, it sounds weird but it 's absolutely true
1: I was in a workshop once and i't can I think it was life work leadership and i don 't remember the speaker if this is part of an organized curriculum, but a guy came in and he passed out uh I don't remember if it was hundred dollar bills or fifty dollar bills or something like that. And he says, I'm giving this to you with one one piece of homework. I want you to go give it to somebody who needs it. And he says, and we're willing to do that because one of their things is to teach generosity, to make people understand how fun steward good stewardship is mm-hmm. and, and what how fulfilling it is to be generous. And so he said, you know, we give we give these out to people so that they can go experience it because once you experience helping somebody in need it's addictive. It is. Like you want, you want more of it. It, it, it feels better than anything else you could have gotten with that $50 bill or that $100 bill. And it's really true. When you experience what it's like to bless someone else who's, who's in need, it is addictive. It is a far greater reward than anything you could have used that money for. Yeah,
0: But our rich man in the parable is a rich fool, unfortunately. And so what he does is something different. In verse 18, and he said, I will do this. This is my grand plan. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I was just looking at some of the emphasis of, you know, between verse 17 through 19 here, just the number of times that this guy used the word my. Verse 17, I have nowhere to store my crops. Then I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will store my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up. It's like this guy right now has demonstrated more plainly than – it's like everything is about him and it's about his stuff. Um, he's completely focused looking inward.
1: Mm-hmm. And right right before this, like he's talking about my soul, my this, you know, right before this, earlier in the chapter, Jesus gives that very famous statement where he says, do not fear those that can kill the body, um, but to fear the the one who has authority to cast your soul into hell. And And here this guy is, and he's just so flippant, you know, this is all my stuff, my, my, my. I mean, it's... That 's the rallying cry of of Satan, really, everything is about me. It strokes my pride it 's all look what i 've created, look what I have. Well, who produced all the crops you know it 's God who has blessed him with these crops. Sure, and he owes an account for those, and you know to to say to my soul okay now i've i 've got this treasure i 've got this Remember, he's talking to a guy who wants more. He wants an inheritance. And so this guy's saying, I'll say to my soul, you know, relax, eat, drink, be merry, which, you know, evokes Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the I've, I've gotten the, the reward that my whole life is pointing to, and he's content with this. Like, that's that's it. His whole life's mission was just to find some point in this fleeting, temporary existence to where he could put his feet up. And just eat, drink, and, and be merry. That's yeah. all he sees to his entire point in life.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I I suppose I should mention, though, again, just for people that tend to take these things and swing pendulums, God is not speaking here against retirement planning or saving for your retirement. Proverbs 6, uh, chapter 6, 6 through 8 Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. This idea that she makes, you know, pointing to the ants and they, they store up food for the mm-hmm. the bad weather's coming, you know. Um, Proverbs twenty one twenty. precious treasure and oil are in a man's, wise man's dwelling. He's retained some of it, but a foolish man devours it. Like, consumes everything they have all at once. So God is is perfectly fine with this idea that we're going to be that we're going to be saving something for the future. I mean, we're told that Joseph was wise in saying we're going to take the extra from the years of plenty so that we have food available during the years of famine. Now, what Joseph Mm -hmm. did that was wrong, and you talked about this in the Truth on Earth class, is that Joseph then used that as a weapon to bring all of Egypt into servitude. Mm -hmm. He did the wrong thing with it, but the idea of saving some from a time of plenty for a time when not as much was coming in, God's like, that's wise.
1: Mm -hmm. And you see see that ethic all throughout the Bible – and one of the ironies, and this this struck me, you know, as as I was reading this, you know, Jesus is coming with a message that he's the firstborn of heaven, right? And he is the only righteous son who's entitled to be called a son of God, right? He's the only one. He's entitled to the full inheritance, and he comes into the world. Now, get this, because this whole this whole parable starts with a guy saying, "Tell my brother to share the inheritance with right. me." And here you get the only begotten Son of the Father who has infinite inheritance, who is coming to offer all the, the treasures of heaven and the, the glory of God and the mercy of God and the love of God in infinite measure that is yours by faith, right? Jesus comes and he is preaching a gospel in which the the only Son, true Son, comes to say, God has sent me so that you can all be made adopted sons and daughters, Mm. so that you can cry out, Abba, so that when you stand before the Father, you have a share in the inheritance that's everlasting, eternal, imperishable. You have a claim to that. And in this world, rather than rejoicing in that, rather than worrying about the inheritance and fixing our minds on that inheritance and and being laser focused on that kingdom and his mission and all that he has purchased and secured for us, we go around and we worry about bigger barns. And you have to think, as Jesus, the firstborn, is inviting a whole bunch of people who are not entitled to the inheritance to come and partake of it to hear this guy who just looks right past that message and says, tell my brother to share the inheritance. Jesus is like, you want to know what your inheritance is? Let me tell you a story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you slaving away to get more and more, and all your covetousness, you're slaving away that you get more and more, and you think it's secure. And then one day, and this is where he ends the parable – you're going to lose it all.
0: Yeah.
1: You're going to lose it all. Here I am offering an inheritance that never perishes that never goes away. Grab hold of that and let that be your treasure. Any other treasure is going to sift through your hands and it's going to be gone. And I think that's why he quotes that <laughs> Ecclesiastes at the end of verse 19. Yeah. You know, where it's like, "Oh, eat, drink and be merry." Like, that's coming from Ecclesiastes, and the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes is you slave away chasing treasures in this world, things that can't possibly satisfy you, and at the end of the day, you will inevitably realize that it's all just smoke, that you can't hold on to it. It's all fleeting in this world. Don't grab hold of treasures in this world.
0: Jesus evokes Ecclesiastes again in verse 20 where he says, but God said to him, the rich man, fool. I, that would shake me up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Fool. What? Uh-oh. <clears throat> this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, I thought about, the passage in Ecclesiastes 2, you know, we, we did we did that study of Ecclesiastes and Philippians where we were going back and forth. And uh, this, this has stuck with me, I think, more than any other passage from Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And this is the thing that I, I – it's burned in my brain. <laughs> and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, that would be me, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 I understand. Hey, you know what? The mosaic law—they had rules of inheritance. The brother, the firstborn, gets the double portion, right? We've been talking about that. They have these rules of how things get passed down. But you know what? That elder brother was the executor of the estate, and mm-hmm. guess what? The younger brother hadn't gotten his share yet. Well, you may have a will, and you may have a trust that you've put up, but you know what? All of those things indicate your desires but it's going to be someone other than you mm-hmm. who takes care of the distribution and sometimes that person carries out your desires perfectly and sometimes they don't. How many times have we seen the you know the the inheritance that somebody thought they were going to be passing on to one particular part of their family or one particular cause mm-hmm. get diverted because people object to and it goes and it gets tied up in the courts and it gets half the money gets burned up by lawyers fees
1: mm-hmm. there've been so many stories like that as a pastor i can tell you i have counseled more people than you'd probably be comfortable with knowing who who have entered into this season and families get torn apart arguing and vying for possessions that were left by somebody who wanted to bless the family, and it ends up tearing them apart. And we're, I'm coming into a season right now where I'm the executor for my parents, and both of them are coming toward the end of life. And I've, I've told one of my brothers, like, I'd, I, w- I would rather give it all away than yeah. to see this come and tear tear us apart. So yeah. I'm on record now.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: they'll be they'll be bringing out a water podcast into the courtroom. See yeah. what he said. Yeah. Um. But I would like that would be. I would rather have the peace of of doing the right thing than dragging my brothers before the crowds and demanding, you know, that they be shamed. Like it's just treasures in this world are not worth it.
0: I'm 61, working on 62. And <clears throat> I don't know how many more years I have. I, you know, my health is not the best in the world. It's not the worst. It's not the best. I, you know, I, everybody gets cranky with me when I talk about maybe not having a whole lot of years left, but I don't know. I could have, I could be gone in a week. I could be here mm-hmm. 20 years from now. Um, I don't know. Uh, but the, th- the fact of the matter is there's a lot less in front of me than there is in the rear view mirror. And so I think about the fact of my own kids and I know that, you know, my kids. I, I I feel the same way. I'm like I, I'm like you know. It's like I want to give. I want to pass something down to my own children that will bless them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll be honest with you, the thing I would give them if I could give them anything is this is a is a really strong belief in the fact that it's not the money you get that mm-hmm. is worthwhile. If I want an inheritance for my children, what I really want is for them to say. As I come to the end of my life, I'm kind of excited. (laughs) You know, it's like I'm going to get to leave behind a bunch of these things about my life that I'm not crazy about. You know, it's like there's a lot of parts that hurt. I'll be glad when they fall off. (laughs) Uh, That sort of thing. And, you know, the fact is that that I'm looking forward to a day when I don't have any coveting other than the coveting to be with the Lord and to Mm -hmm. appreciate him. I'm looking forward to the day when all of my desires are in the right direction, because there's only one direction for me. Hmm. Um, I'm tired of being torn apart by the pleasures of the flesh and the desires of the press and the the, 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 the press of this world, that mm-hmm. that uh, the concerns of this. You know, I want all that gone. I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. I'm not going to miss the static.
1: Um, me either. So. I would like to see the kingdom come. I'd love to see more revival. I mean even though, you know, sure. the bodily pain and everything else, I I would love to just see a spiritual revival in which the 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 pains, the emotional pains of a broken world are lifted and and you see people who are who are genuinely uh, transformed, You know, that's – and verse 21 when it says, you know, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself. You know, you're building for stuff that's going to be torn down and taken away. Death's going to steal it all from you. But I love the way he counters it when it says, and is not rich toward God. And, and the word toward there, you know, it's it, – they translate it toward because it's talking about somebody who should be generous. But the the in the Greek the preposition there's ace which can mean in or into or for, um, and I love that you know it's you're already wealthy in God you you already have it it's it's not even so much about action it's not necessarily being rich toward God but it's being rich in God mm-hmm. like you have such a treasure in Him. And when you recognize the treasure that you have in him, it begins to define everything else in your life. You will be rich toward everybody else. You will be generous toward everybody else. When you stop for a moment and remember that the barns that God has in store for you make your bigger barns on this planet – look like outhouses. Like, (laughs) really? I mean, and and so like your inheritance, your wealth, what you've been given in Christ is so amazing and you should be amazed by it to where it begins to, to steer your life and it makes letting go of the dream of bigger barns and getting more and being enslaved to more, more, more and never being content. That's the thing about covetousness. I've never met a wealthy, covetous person who's chasing after more who ever reaches the point where they say, "Ah, oh, this is enough." Yeah, it's it's a slavery, and it yeah. never gets better. And so, finding your contentment and in the infinite inheritance that's offered by God—what a life that would be! That's what we should be striving
0: after. Is recognizing what we already have in Him. Yeah. And, you know, it, the the treasures that we lay up would be those that, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, and I don't remember exactly which week it was, we had the First Corinthians 3 and Paul building on the foundation. Well, that was the wise builder. That was the parable yeah. of the wise yeah. builder. You have an opportunity now. Where you are now, you have an opportunity to build eternally you you know it's like well how, how am i rich toward god mark i don't have an atm where i can deposit into the bank of god <laughs> and and yet you do you do you have an opportunity in the work of the gospel ministry you have an opportunity to be merciful to be kind to share the gospel to be generous to be to to uh, disciple people to teach it's like god has given us these barns yeah. Full of, of crops that are tools <laughs> that mm-hmm. we can use and share to the people around us. And, and in direct and indirect ways, we're building into the kingdom of God. You know, we're building f- for things that we won't even know until we're on the other side and we're able to see. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment where, you know, it's like, uh, wow, I didn't have any idea. I didn't have any idea that that was, that, that what I did, this ministry that I helped build up that then blessed all these people, well, you know, that's building something that is a treasure that's going to last through the grave. And that's, I think, what Jesus is trying to get at here mm-hmm. with the rich man. He's like, you've got to plan through the grave. The grave is, is not the end. You know, you have an opportunity to lay up treasure that will carry through the grave. There's a bunch of treasure in this world that's going to get stripped away, but there's treasure that Mm -hmm. you can put in advance on the other side. Yeah,
1: And to to quote Paul at you when you're talking about making deposits in the bank of God. Yes. (laughs) Which I kind of like. In Romans 12, I love this idea. And, you know, when I talk to people about doing hard things and making sacrifices in life for the sake of the kingdom – I'll often quote this from Romans 12, verse 1, where it talks about presenting your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Well, what does that mean? You're a living sacrifice. That means that every day you set aside your life, your plans, your kingdom, you're offering up a sacrifice that may feel costly to you in that moment. Just like in the Old Testament, they would offer up sacrifices to God, you're offering up your very life as a sacrifice, and that's an offering to God. It is. It is absolutely making your deposit in the bank of God, to, to, to quote you, and that is always a worthy investment with eternal, eternal consequences where everything else is temporal.
0: One of these days, we'll have to do an out-of-water series on Romans. That'll only take about four years. <laughs> yeah
1: I, seriously, yeah,
0: our conclusion here to what you know to this parable you you've got more than you need, and you've been given all of this this abundance and everything else if this is where you put your trust logically you're going to lose it all mm-hmm. you're going to lose it all um and the only way that you can retain anything that you work for is when you work. To be rich toward God,
1: mm-hmm. and that's where you find contentment. You, you're, you know, it's the only place where you'll find satisfaction. Otherwise, even even for the the double-minded heart, you're you're going to be you're going to be battling against slavery and worry and anxiety. Yeah. Which, by the way, right after this, if you look it up, that's immediately where Jesus goes. Is you know, don't worry, don't you know if, yeah. if you're trusting in the right treasures. It yep. will take the worry away from you. But if you're looking at things of this world, things you can't control, things that are out of your hands and out of your control, you will by necessity have to worry and yeah. lose sleep.
0: He's like, I got it. Trust my inheritance. I mean, you're right. That's the next the next sentence <laughs> after he concludes the parable. It says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, so he's, he's calling back to the parable. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. you heard me? This is what you should take from that. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. What this parable is trying to tell you is, don't be anxious. Mm -hmm. Don't be worried about your stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. There is freedom in looking at the inheritance that
0: Christ offers. Yeah. Amen. 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 Well, that is a good word. And, um, I think we're going to let it stand on that, my friend. Folks, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, that it's been profitable for you. If you would like to correspond with Sam and I, if there's something that you want to let us know, some point that you want to take up or a question you have, or if there's something that you just want to hear us talk about, if you want to, Hey, here's something I'd love to hear you guys address on the podcast. You can reach us by sending email to out of water at com. That's R-I-O-Vista church.com that's also where you can find all the back episodes of the out of water podcast at riovistachurch.com forward slash out of water you can also find them on apple podcasts google podcasts or spotify and in our free rio vista church smartphone app sam and i'll be back next week with another in the series he gave us stories and we look forward to seeing you then